Get the duck boats ready. Get the duck boats ready. We got the cup. Black and yellow, black and yellow. You want to talk about a team? This is a team. You guys wanted it. We got it. Let's have some fun. Cue the memories presented by Bud Light. What's up, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of Cue the Memories presented by Bud Light. Fair, do I have to be prepared to be chirped today or to dish out chirps? If you're deserving. <laughs> He's pretty good at the give and take, as we saw uh, with our, our last uh, guest, uh, Gregory Campbell, over the team Zoom meeting. So he, uh, he can dish, he can take, uh, but his are actually usually pretty good. They're, they're pretty funny. I, I've heard a few on the ice that, uh, you know, they cut pretty deep especially if he's got some pers- personal knowledge uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> on you, but, uh, <laughs> but he knows how to have a laugh at himself too. So that's a, that's a good combination. We were talking of course about Brad Marchand, uh, fair. What can you tell us about him? Uh, you played with him for, for many years. Um, you know, what kind of a guy was he, what kind of a player was he, what stood out about Brad Marchand to you? Well, I think even from his first days as a Bruin, he looks like he's having a blast. He's always having fun. He's got a ton of pride. Um, you know, he's very proud in, in the type of player he is and a ton of confidence. You know, he wants the puck on his stick. He wants to be on the ice in the most important times of the game. You know, whether that's killing a penalty or trying to tie up the game late or, you know, winning an overtime, which he's done many, many times, right? Like he's he's that type of guy. But I, I think that fun part, you know, the, the fact that he's just having a blast out there is, is probably the part that stands out for me the most and, and was really evident you know, when he first came into the league, you know, one of those guys that if you could harness his energy and his excitement and enthusiasm and point it in the right direction, I mean, he didn't have a whole lot of barriers. That's for sure. He's our whole lot of limits. I should say he, uh, uh, incredible talent. I mean, that's certainly what stands out on a daily basis. When, when you see Brad around the rink, it's, you know, you have to be prepared for, for a chirp or a comment or something. And, but it's always, it's always good natured. It's always uh, all about having fun and having a good time at the rink and setting the right tone for that day, for that game. And whether it's his teammates, the coaches, the staff, whatever it is, it's always about, you know, we're here to have fun. We're here to have a good time. And funny story about uh, when Brad first came onto the scene, obviously didn't know him uh, back in 2010, 2011, but, Many people thought uh, that him and I looked alike when he first burst onto the scene as a rookie. I don't know. There's a certain facial feature that I think uh, people thought we shared. Eyebrows. I think eyebrows. Are, I could see it. <laughs> there were a lot of comments when he was a rookie. Wow, that new kid, he looks like you. And when I started working for the Bruins, sometimes on the road, I'll walk out of the hotel and I'm going to the bus and I'll hear a marshy yelled from somewhere down the street or from some of the autograph seekers and... I'll take a look around and I don't see Marshy and I say, they must be talking about me. Well, I hope you've signed a few, please. Well, so there was one time, I think it was my first year on the road in 2016 or 17. And uh, that happened. I think it was out in your neck of the woods somewhere in Edmonton or Calgary, one of, one of those. So on the Western Canadian trip and uh, they were asking for my autograph. And I said, I don't, I really don't think you want my autograph. No, come on, come on. And I said, no, no. So I got on the bus and I was thinking about it. And I'm like, those people think Brad Marchand is a dink now. They didn't, he didn't give him an autograph. So we got to the rink and told Marshy about it. He's like, dude, sign them all day for me. So we have that thing in common, I guess, him and I, but 
Uh, I haven't gotten it as much lately. There's so much junk on eBay just with your signature on there now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's not a good signature, but we'll ask him about it. We'll ask him about all his uh, good times and fun chirps and, and everything else over the years uh, when we come back on Cue the Memories presented by Bud Light. Cue the Memories brought to you by Bud Light. Score exclusive merch and more at BudLightLegends.com. And we're back on Cue the Memories and so happy to be joined by Brad Marsh and Marshy, what's up, man? How you doing, guys? Happy to be here. Hello, Bradley. Hi, Andrew. Good to see you, bud. <laughs> it's wonderful to see you as well. I, I watched you on TV the other day. Yeah, well, it's always a treat. Miss you. It's always great to see that, that luscious hair you got going on. <laughs> you know, it hasn't gone away. It's not even gray yet, <laughs> which it's surprising. Yeah, that's impressive. And then yeah, you, get, you might you might actually go gray before I do. I can't even believe you're old now. I just I remember know, you man. as like a little a little punk. But I know it's like <laughs> I think I'm I'm getting to where you were when when we played together. Are you considered a veteran presence in the locker room now? Uh, I, I mean, I would I guess I would kind of say that, but it's weird. To, it's weird to even even think like that, eh? Like so, you know, when you look at yourself, you don't realize how old you get so quick. You know, I, I, it actually really dawned on me when I came to Edmonton and my kids were older than my coach's kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's when it kind of got weird. Yeah, you know, we were, actually it's funny because Bergie and I were talking about today because I was telling them that I was coming on here and we were talking about just how many guys are playing. And then we we're like, you know, you're getting old when all the guys you played with are now coaching and in management. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> That's when it really dawns on you. It's funny because now, obviously, Kels all played with us, and and uh, we were really close. And now he's like my boss, you know. So <laughs> I don't know how I'm supposed to refer to him when I see him. Call him, you know, boss Kels. Don't let, don't let him know that you uh, <laughs> He'll he'll ride that if you let him know that. You, oh, it does he, the average. So he's always trying to boss me around, tell me what to do off the ice too. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Well, it's good to get caught up. Let's uh, yeah. let's jump into it, Russo. Russo's the one that keeps this thing on the on the rails or else uh, me and the All other right. guys just, yeah, we'll just, we just banter on forever. <laughs> well, I, I think the story begins, Marshy, with you. I mean, you're a rookie in 2010-11. So entering that season, you know, what's your mindset? What's your thought process? I know I think there was a 20-goal guarantee or, or something like that. What What was your mindset going into that year? I think as a young guy, uh, obviously I, I don't think I was looking as much ahead at, at where we were going to be at the end of the year. I mean, now being a veteran guy, you know, when you go into the season, you're like, okay, here's where our team stands. You know, we, we want to compete for a cup and, you know, the process to, to kind of getting there, um, you know, cause obviously there's only a really a handful of teams that are legit contenders each year. And, and we were one of those teams that year. Uh, but for myself, that was the year that I was really pushing to make the team. So that's really all I was focused on going into the season. Didn't really quite realize the opportunity that we were going to have ahead of us. Um, and that whole 20 goal thing. So what happened was that the previous year I had gotten called up and I was, you know, kind of a producer, a point producer in the minors. And, and uh, when I went up to the NHL, I didn't I didn't quite put up any any kind of stats that were. Uh, worth bragging about so at the end of the season um we're in our year of meetings you always have a year in meeting i i had spoken to peter and uh, shirelli and he kind of said what we're looking for from you is to come in next year we want you to be a fourth line energy player um that's kind of where we can see you fitting in if you if you do your job and you know if if you can get 10 goals and we'll be really happy with that 
um, you know, then, and you bring your energy and work hard and, and all that stuff. And I was like, well, I think that I can get 20. Like, I think I'm, I'm more than that. And I can do more than that. So I, I didn't say I'm going to get 20. I just said, I think I can do more. <laughs> and I didn't think much of it. I just was having a conversation at the time, but it, it kind of came to like uh, December the next year. And I think I had two, two goals maybe. And I was playing fourth line and Claude came up to me just one practice. We were skating around and um, I think it was one of those days I was kind of yapping away with the guys. And, and he said, you know what? Uh, you're a long ways away from getting 20 goals. So you better start playing a lot better. <laughs> you're going to need that kind of guarantee. So um, I remember at the end of the year, I think I scored my 20th goal with a couple of games left in the season. And I kind of went back to the bench and kind of looked up at Claude and gave him a smirk like, hey, I got it. <laughs> so it was, uh, got lucky there. Well, I don't know if that had too much to do with luck. Uh, I got to say, <laughs> to, picture, to, to picture you now as just kind of a fourth role energy guy, it seems ludicrous. Um, but yeah, that, that, trans that transition happened really quick. Like, it, it really did. You know, it's funny how, how it works because so much of, of the game is – the situation you're put in, you know, and, and uh, there's so many talented guys and, and guys that can produce in the league. But if you're put in a certain position to produce, then um, a lot of guys can. And, and it just happened to, to be that I jumped up with Bergie and Rex shortly after we had that conversation and we just clicked. And then if obviously if that had never happened and, and I played fourth line the whole year, then that never would have been a, a you know, a sustainable goal or an obtainable goal. Um, but because, you know, I was put in a position to play with those guys who are extremely talented. I mean, Rex is over 1,500 points. And Hall of Famer, Bergie's going to be a Hall of Famer. You know, it, it, it just worked out good. So um, I was happy. That's for sure. <laughs> well, I, I actually use you as an example a lot of time when I talk to uh, talk to people when, you know, we get all philosophical about coaching and, you know, just just the, the attitude within a room or the attitude that a coach can put onto the players. And, I use you as an example because I'm saying you're, you're kind of that perfect example of a guy who has tons of confidence, who wants to be in the pressure situ situations, who wants to try creative things and kind of push the envelope of, you know, what I can do. And on a, on certain teams, that enthusiasm, that, you know, um, that creativity can just get killed by a coach that, mm. you know, the very first mistake that is made, you know, the guy's benched. You know, or the yep. very first turnover, you know, you're getting, you're hearing it from your line mates or your, your teammates or you're sitting on the bench from the coach. So mm -hmm. I, I use you as an example to say, like, you very easily could have just had that killed, you know, within yep. you just by, by being benched. Because let's face it, like, there's some high risk stuff, right? You're lucky enough, you, you, you know, you, you, you had a coach and you had a situation <laughs> yeah. and you had line mates that allowed you to to flourish with, with yeah. that creativity and with that confidence. So um, you know, just such a perfect situation for you. It is. Yeah. And I, and I think that was one thing that, uh, us young guys, I mean, Sags, myself and, and Quater, uh, specifically that year, uh, really benefited from with our group was we, and even our coaching staff, like there was a very high expectation to play the right way and to do the right things. But when we did make mistakes, everybody backed each other up and, and went to bat for one another. And, and, um, I mean, I got benched a, a lot that year by Claude and a lot of meetings, but it was always in a way not to crush me, but to, to realize like, hey, there's more to the game than, you know, trying to beat guys one on one or, or, or you know, game management and 
stuff like that. Like, you know, he always used Bergie as an example because he loved Bergie. And then, you know, you had Rex and yourself and Kel. I mean, you go down the list, Pevs and Soupy and Thority, guys that just worked and played the right way. And and then you're, you allow your, your skill and your abilities to take over in situations where it, it's okay to do that. And I think that was the biggest thing that they were always trying to push is um, – there's always a time and place to do certain things and there's a time and place not to. And it's about learning how to do that because, you know, when you get down to the wire in, in the finals and, and in those big moments, all it takes is one mistake in, in the wrong time where you're trying to do a little bit too much and uh, it's enough to cost a series. So, you know, we, we saw that what that was our biggest thing with our group is we competed so hard and um, everybody played the right way and came time to make plays. Guys had the ability to do it and the talent to do it. And sometimes I think that that gets lost on, on teams nowadays, especially teams that don't have a lot of success. Um, it's tough when you don't have that leadership to come in and, and learn from uh, their experience about when the time is and, and, and when the time isn't um, because everything's stats driven now. So that's really that's that's a part of the game that's getting lost a little bit but you see in teams like Colorado and Vegas that are um, our team like that, that those are teams that they play the Islanders right now like they play the right way to win and you know those skill guys play within that system and that's what makes them so dangerous yeah they don't hand out the cup based on purely analytics do they they have a time and place yeah exactly yeah there's a time and place for that but uh, that's that's a lot of those stats are a lot of like really you know, really good hockey. They don't care about those. A lot of those stats, like there, there's so much that can't be measured based on these analytics that are being pulled together. Um, and all the good teams, you know, they, they don't talk about those things in the room. It's talked about outside in the media and stuff like that, but no one's talking about these. I don't even know what majority of them, but that's how unimportant they are. So the, the selfish reason for having this podcast is that I actually get to know some of the guys a little bit better. Yeah. And I, I know that you grew up in Halifax, and but all I know is what I can just imagine you as a kid. I imagine you <laughs> being the kid that's like really good at every sport and like first to be picked in gym class and the kid in grade five who like writes on his school report. Like when I grow up, I want to be a superstar in the NHL. <laughs> you know, this is the Brad Marchand story that I've created for myself of, of what your childhood was like and that you just scored like 400 goals every season in, in peewee hockey. Um, but, you know, just a super confident ball of energy that, that, that teachers you probably either loved or hated. Yeah. Am I, am I accurate? Am I, am I, am I, yeah, the nail? you've almost hit the nail on the head with, with a lot of it. Um, you know, I definitely always had that, that kind of enthusiasm growing up at high energy uh, in school and drove teachers crazy more, more because I wasn't, focused on on the schooling part of it because I was so I, I was very fortunate my my three best friends grew up um we all grew up in the same classes from you know the time we were 12 on um played on all the same hockey teams three of us got drafted to the NHL one got a full ride to uh RPI school in New York D1 school so all of us were always together in a class we all we cared about at the time was hockey it's what we did every day we'd go to practice go play ball hockey go play pond hockey um you know play mini sticks every day like that's what we did and I think that drove teachers wild you know when we were in class uh you know we'd always be my mom found a sheet last year 
of of my binder she pulled the binder and it was like page after page just autographed like it was covered in the <laughs> autograph this different ones trying to trying to nail it down and my number at the time um was 66 so i like it just over and over again and and you just flip through it there's no homework done no no schoolwork done just so you know that that is is what we like but on the hockey side of it i i actually wasn't um by by any means the best player i mean i always played on the top teams growing up but the way it works is i don't know if they do it differently now but you'd play two years of like adam peewee midget um so the first year i'd be like the worst player on the team um and then the second year i'd be one of the better players just because i was older and and, and there's younger kids in the league but um i just love i think what happened and, and i think this is what happens with a lot of kids is you put the time in and and you just play because you love it. Like, man, I always wanted to play in the NHL. Like you said, it's just, I think that's what a lot of hockey kids do. I want to play in the NHL. I never, it's funny. I never grew up and said, I want to play first line or second line or power play. Like, I didn't really care about that. I just wanted to play in the NHL. And, you know, you're always spending hours and hours and eventually it pays off. Like, I think at one point, you know, I was 14 or 15 and I, I kind of had a breakout year. Um, but still not, you know, the best kid by any means. Um, but it always bothered me that other kids were getting attention over me. So I think it pushed me to want to do a little bit more and work harder and, and uh, you know, kind of drove me a little bit more. So I think that's kind of how it all started. And it just snowballs from there. That's such an underrated aspect of like what drives, I think, a lot of us is that, we just were so pissed to see like other people get drafted ahead of you or yeah. like central scouting rankings. And you're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's funny to see that. Cause when I was 15, uh, you know, you start to get drafted for the Quebec league and we had three kids on our no, four. Actually we had like five or six kids on our team that were all really top kids that were looking to get drafted uh, in the first round. And when you're 15, you can only get drafted in the fifth round and below. And all the kids, I was the leading scorer on our team, and all the kids were ranked higher than me. And I was like, what is going I, It made me so mad because I thought that I could play at the level that these kids were playing, but I was ranked so much lower than them. And I was like, oh, like, I just, it, it just, that those are things that drive you, you know, you're like, all right, I know I can beat that guy and I'm going to push to beat that guy, even though he's getting more attention and, and everyone thinks he's better, I'm going to beat him. And then, you know, that drive just, it, it propels you forward. You work harder. Um, and eventually, like I said, it'll pay off at some point. And uh, you know, this, it, those are the little things that, yeah, people don't see in your mindset that you get pissed off and you just want to do more and, it, you know, gives you that edge. So do you still feel that? I, I do. I do. Yeah, I, I do still. You know, I think now it's it, it's the young kids coming up and never, everyone's talking about how good they are. And I'm, I want to, you know, it, it bugs me and I want to beat them because I want to show that I'm better than them uh, and that I can compete with them. And then also, I think as you like, everybody knows that they, there's a point in your career that you're getting towards the end and, and you want to push that as far away as possible. As you get older, you know, things just you get slower or whatever it is, um, you know, you have more responsibilities. Maybe you don't have the time to put in, but then it just gets like, okay, I want to push that as far away as I possibly can. 
Um, and to do that, I got to beat all these kids and, and the talent level that comes in, they're so gifted. Everyone can, you know, skate, shoot and pass and handle a puck. So now I got to do so much more work to get to their level. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's there, it's, I, you know, how, like you're a competitive guy. You can't that you don't lose that when you're, when you compete and it's in you that you just don't, you don't lose that. That's, that's, what's gotten you to this point. And that's how you've lived your life. That's how you still live your life. I mean, you're still in phenomenal shirt shape and, and you work all the time and it doesn't go away. So, um, no, that, that's just part of it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my retirement advice is make sure you have an outlet for, for all yeah. that because you really <laughs> do need it. Like, you know, like anything like, man, join like a, a, a lawn bowling club, but be the best damn lawn bowler because like you need, you need something like, yeah, I, yeah. Like, I, yeah. I find a way to like race bikes or, you know, do stuff like that. And you just need yeah. something competitive and something to try to be better than the next guy. Yeah. I mean, you've competed at such a high level for, you know, 35 years by the time you retire, it's like, you can't just turn that off. You'll go crazy. So, I mean, that, that is, that is great advice to try to find something. So Russo, what's this podcast about again? <laughs> Which year? Which year? This podcast is about the, uh, the, the 2011 Boston Bruins fair. Ah, it's right. 2011, 2000. We should probably go back to that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I always say, the story leading up to 2011 is important, right? My next question is along those lines, Marsha, you start out with the Merlot line with Thorty and, and Soupy. What are you thinking about when you're with them those first couple months? Are you eyeing a second line job, a first line job? Or are you trying to learn from those guys? What what was sort of the thought process when you were playing with them early in that year? I really wasn't trying to eye a certain position. I was more just trying to earn my spot and do it the best I could. I think when you go into every season as a young guy, and I know I did this, I'm sure every every player does this, you look at the lineup and you're like, okay. We have 11 guys or 12 guys on one-way contracts. Where are these spots shaping up? And there was an open spot on that fourth line. And I got there and everyone else on, on, on the lines above me were on, you know, multiple year contracts and, and a one-way. So to you have to beat a guy out or wait for an injury, stuff like that. So I wasn't really more eye in that. I was just, I got on that spot. And I was thankful and grateful for that opportunity to be on the fourth line. And, and we were having a great time. I mean, I, I owe Soupy and Thorny, I mean, I, a ton of thanks for everything that they did for me. Soupy and I would work every single day after practice in the gym or on the ice, cycling pops, um, building our chemistry. And, you know, those guys really allowed me to feel comfortable in the league. Thorny came up to me one of the first days and was like, listen, do whatever you want to do out there. Um, don't worry about anybody. Like I'll, I'll get your back. If, if anyone has anything to say to you and that allowed me to really feel comfortable to, to try to find a way to try to instigate or whatever, and, and not have to worry about somebody grabbing me that that's really tough. Um, so it allowed me to feel comfortable to, to get into that role, to play that role. And we connected so well that, um, you know, we started to play more and then it, it then became a, we were a shutdown line and we played against a lot of other teams first lines and we took a lot of pride in that and that's all that we were that we were concerned about it's all I was worried about was we took a lot of pride that we're the fourth line but we're playing against you know Ovechkin or or, or Crosby and trying to shut them down and then uh, I think somebody got hurt and then you know and I got to look up with Bergie and, and Rex and it just kind of went from there but um, yeah initially when I went on that Merlola line it was just try to create as much energy as we possibly could every game, kill penalties and, and not get scored against. And 
that's all we cared about. And, you know, we were, we were pretty good at it. So you move up to, like you said, to play with Bergie and, you know, 10 years later, you're still playing with them. Uh, and you're one of the great duos in Bruins history and NHL history, I think. But, you know, did you know that you were going to have that chemistry right away? Like when did it click and, and why did it click? Uh, so quickly and so well. My first game in the NHL, I played with Bergie and, and Rides, and, and we actually played pretty pretty good because I think our games just are similar. Uh, we both compete, and I think that's why we clicked uh, well. You know, when when we went up and played with Rex and, and Bergie, was our games are so similar where we just like to you know compete on pucks and and hold on to it down low and uh, kind of cycle a team and and um, you know create energy down there and then. You know, we'll just make plays off of that. Uh, we both played at the time pretty simple through the neutral zone. Um, I was trying to be very careful that, at that time because I, I, you know, I didn't want to get benched or anything. Uh, Bergie had a lot more leeway, but obviously playing with 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 uh, Rex and Bergie, a lot of things opened up from there, and and they got a lot of respect in the ace. They could see things that I, you know, I couldn't. Um, we just our games worked well together and there's some guys that you really just can't work with and there's some guys that instantly click and we were just um luckily clicked right away uh and it made it easy to to make that transition uh we just kind of rolled from there so your very first year you're plugging along you're you got it you're on a scoring line you're productive i remember my first year in the league and i was like just trying to keep my head above water <laughs> and everything was crazy. And every single day that I woke up, I would like walk into the rink and like, yeah. hope not to get like sent down. Yeah. <laughs> and just, it was just, it was like, it's a crazy, it's a crazy time in your hockey career, right? Where you're just, you're trying to do really well and be bold, but you're just trying not to get sent down or make the mistake. Yeah. Like, is that how you felt? Or did you just walk in every day? Like, yeah, man, it's, it's so hard because as a young guy, there's so many different things that you need to worry about other than just playing. Um, you know, you're on a tryout every day you go to practice. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand is you haven't made it for years. Like you are always on trial. There's always people watching GM's management. They're, they're always up, up top watching coaches are examining you every day. And that's how I felt every day. I came to the ring. I was like, am I going to get sent down today? Even though like, once they tell you to get a place that that kind of means that you're going to be there for the year, or they expect you to be there for a while. And even after that, I'd come to the rink and I'd be like, Oh man, like anytime coach want to talk to me, I'd be nervous or, and then you're also like, there's a, a factor where you got to respect the vets. You don't want to upset anybody. Um, you know, like you don't want to get in someone's way or if someone needs treatment, you don't want to jump in front of them and, there's so many different things that you have to try to figure out along the way and stay in your lane. And I wasn't very good at that. So, you know, that's where a lot of the, the leaders, and we had so many veteran guys and, and good leaders and stuff like that, where guys kind of pull you aside and be like, Hey, maybe try to do this. So you don't piss off these guys. And actually I remember I was talking to Brady this about this the other day, another huge moment that I had that year was the first time you invited me for dinner with the older guys, like, cause normally you, you always have groups of guys on the road that go to dinner and we were in Jersey and you sent me a text like, Hey, do you want to come to dinner with us? I was like over the moon. I went <laughs> shopping, got a new outfit. <laughs> and I was like, cause before that I was like going to dinner with, with Sags and Quater every night. Um, because you know, those were the guys that I was really comfortable with. And obviously you guys all have relationships and, um, your dinner groups and stuff. So, 
then after that, I was all fired up. And, and, uh, but I remember it was in New Jersey when some hipster restaurant <laughs> that, uh, that you knew about. And, um, so that was, that was a big moment for me that year where I was like, all right, maybe I'm getting in with these guys. Now. When you picked the right veterans to go with, if it was me and Bergy, cause we weren't ordering expensive wine. So you didn't have to split that bill. Yeah. <laughs> I think I went with Thorny and Soup one day and they made me buy them like, I don't know, some, some ridiculous bottles. Like, I'll go with the young guys. Yeah, it's really stuff. important to pick your dinner mates because, uh, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. split, split the bill is a lot easier with some people than others. Oh, yeah, is it ever? <laughs> Try to find the guys that didn't drink a whole lot and, and then, you know, go with those guys consistently. So the, I, you're, you're bang on. I actually had a coach in junior that told me, make it three years and then you can start feeling somewhat comfortable in the NHL. But yeah, it's, it takes, it takes years to actually get your foot in the door and and feel somewhat comfortable. But I imagine for, for you, it might've been a little bit shorter than mine. (laughs) Just especially, especially once we kind of got into the playoffs and you're, you're playing such a big role. I mean, do you, do you remember a moment where it was kind of like, you did feel like, okay, I'm not a rookie. I'm, I'm a massive part of this team and these guys are counting on me. I I think once the playoffs came around, actually, no, you know, when it was, uh, was a trade deadline when the trade trade deadline came around and and they traded, uh, Wheeler because Wheeler was playing with Bergie and, and Rex, I believe before I was. And when that happened, that kind of solidified me in that spot. And that's when I was like, okay, they, they believe in me enough where they made a move where I can, I'm going to be in the spot for the rest of the year. Uh, we're playing well enough together. And that's a big position. I felt like that was a really big position for me to be in. Uh, Bergie played a lot of big minutes, played Bergie and Rex, and they played against the other team's top lines. Um, so that was when I actually, I think it allowed me to like, okay, this is, you know, you have to be really good here uh, in this position moving forward. And especially when we got into playoffs, we were, you know, we played a lot of the shutdown uh, minutes and um, you know, I, I, I try to take a lot of pride in that, especially for like Bergie and Rex that they're, they're so determined and they, and they, and not just them, we were playing with Z inside at that time too. I think it was. And I mean, if you're looking across your alignments and those are all the guys that you're playing to say, I better pull my weight here. You know, like these are, you know, the most veteran and, and best players in the league. And I, I think that's when I felt comfortable, but it kind of, you know, like you said, it's that three-year window. I, I took a step back two years later um, because I think I, I started to get a little comfortable and complacent with my position on the team. Um, I think it happens with young guys. You get in, you know, you've been there for a couple of years, uh, you sign your one-way deal and they go, okay, I'm here. And, and you think the game's going to get easier and it doesn't, it, it always gets harder and harder. And uh, I think that was my worst year, my worst start to the year. Um, and there was all kinds of trade talks and stuff like that. So, and that was my third year. So that was a bit of an eye opener after that year. I was like, okay, I got to, you know, reel this back in and, and make sure that every year I come in, I'm prepared and uh, focused and, and do my job because I can't handle, I don't want to leave. I don't want to get traded. I, you know, I want to make sure that I'm here. So that was a big eye opener for me that year. Well, I think you chose a couple of the proper roads when you hit the fork because <laughs> it's, it's worked <laughs> out <laughs> to, to, to put it mildly. Yeah. yeah. Thank God. I don't know where I'd be if I didn't. <laughs> and it did somewhere. Hey, you'd be hunting. Look at that. You, I, I, yeah. I see your Instagram. Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, lots of time to do that down the road. So uh, playoffs come around. It's your first 
postseason, obviously. What's your mindset going in? I'm sure you're nervous, you're excited, all those things. But are you thinking like this team can win the cup? Was that a realistic thing in your mind? Or are you just thinking, wow, this is my first playoff. I want to enjoy it. What was the mindset going in? To be honest, I don't think I ever looked at it and like we're going to win the cup. I, I was just so nervous for that first game. I didn't know what to expect. Um, you know, I, I was just so nervous that I, I don't even think I thought that far ahead. I was just more like, I got to get through this first game. Like my, my butterflies and, and my nerves going into that was crazy. I had, I'd never drinking coffee before, uh, before the playoffs that year. And I started drinking um, a coffee before every game and <laughs> which I think made my nerves worse. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it was after, uh, we beat Philly. It was the first time that I was like, man, we, we had in the second round that was, we have, we have a good team. Like we might win the cup here. Um, but before that, you know, Montreal was a tough team. We had some really good battles with them early in the year. And, and so I, I, I wasn't looking past them at all. It was just, I got to get through this. This is going to be crazy. Uh, and it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I mean, the atmosphere going into playoffs, is there, you can't, you can't match it. Uh, with anything else i mean the, the city is always buzzing and uh the crowds are insane and and it's just it's a whole different atmosphere and, and animal and i wasn't prepared for it at all i actually still like there's very few singular moments that i remember throughout my career like you know you re remember in general but um i still have more vivid memories of my first playoff game and how i felt and the excitement and the butterflies and stepping out you know, with the yeah. arena darkened and the crowd going crazy and just that like literally goosebumps, like just crazy. Man, I'm getting goosebumps right now. <laughs> yeah. Saying that. yeah it, <laughs> it, it's, it's so different. Like you go for warm, even warm ups is crazy. You go for warm ups in the season. There's some people there and you know, like, yeah, they're making some noise, but when you go in playoffs and the whole place is packed and the, and the towels are going and you can't hear yourself thinking warm ups, you're like, this is, it's a Nuts, different beast, you know, and yeah, you're tired before the game starts because your adrenaline shot to the roof for all warm up and you're skating as fast as you can. And it, it's incredible. You can't, you can't even explain the feelings that you get uh, when, when you're sitting in the room and you can hear the building shaking and it's, it's awesome. Well, clearly you, you thrived in that environment. I know we're, we're kind of skipping a couple of rounds here, but I mean, we get to the Stanley cup final and you score five goals, you scored in all four wins. Um, what was it about that pressure, maybe that team that you were facing that you sort of thrived in that series uh, in that moment? I, I just think it's how things happen. Um, you know, sometimes things go your way and sometimes you get the bounce and sometimes you don't. I think that we were all really prepared um i was really nervous for those first two games of vancouver we went up there and that that place is crazy um you know and the travel and everything up there it kind of threw me off i was i didn't play great in those first two games i remember that um but when we came back just we had been in that situation early in 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 the playoffs with montreal where we were down by two and we just knew that we can we could do everything and i think that the belief that we had in the room, everybody was just at the top of their game. And I was just excited to be on the ice every, every shift. And um, then especially like when Horty went down, I think that just everybody got a boost. We're like, all right, we, we got to beat these guys for Horty for, for, I mean, they were so arrogant and, and cocky and we wanted to beat them so bad. And I, I, that's what 
the only thing I could think about was, um, you know, that, that was, was going through my mind. And, and again, I just think that some of the balances just happened to go, to go my way, um, for those goals. But, you know, we, we were all trying our best and, and again, we're, somebody's going to benefit from it. And that's just how it worked out. I don't know if it was on that specific goal. I think it was though, is that shorthanded goal was sick. Hey, it was, it was, that was a good goal, but I was on the ice and I came yeah. up and I think you jumped yeah. like 10 feet in the air. And there's the bet, my favorite picture from my whole career. There's some dude behind the glass, like lifting up his shirt. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, it's such a funny picture. Like, It's funny because you sent me that picture, like, I don't know, maybe last year or something like that. It popped up and, and you'd sent it to me and we were talking about it. <laughs> it was awesome. And I was, I was so jacked. Like the, the garden was going crazy. It was a beautiful goal. Like, you know, yeah. usually the finals, like, hey, you throw a puck on the net and it goes in. It's like, oh, I scored a yeah. playoff goal. But to score a pretty goal in the finals, like, that's something special. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. And, you know, like, in playoffs, the emotion you get from every goal is insane. But, yeah, like, when it's shorthanded and, um, you know, just in that situation and, and the moment we were in, it was it was crazy. I was and that was that's why I try to jump over. <laughs> Thank God you. Jumped. You might have, <laughs> and I'm and I'm small. You just grab me like, oh, calm down, little fella. Seriously, that was awesome. That was a good memory. I feel like all your goals in that series were so memorable. Like you remember them all off the top of your head. So like game six, you're down three two. Obviously the garden's rocking. It's do or die. You come down the wing early. You give the Bruins the lead. Uh, yeah. Take us through that goal and just, you know, how huge that was for momentum and, and maybe, you know, putting more doubt in Luongo's head after you had done that in three and four. Yeah. Well, I just, our games at home, we had been such a dominant team. I, you know, I think team, well, I, it's crazy. The more guys that I meet around the league and that come in, talk about how hard it is to play in Boston. And, and I think that was the case. We were just so good at home and we, when we get that first goal, we just fed off of it uh, in every game. Um, so, yeah, to get that one early was big just because I think it gave us that the belief. Um, I think it put them on their nerves. They're like, man, are we going to go through this again? Then we just spanked them twice in game three and four. You know, like, are we really going to be doing this again in game six? So they had their whole families and, and friends in town and stuff like that. And I think, you know, they thought that it was going to be a little bit easier than it was. It just kind of jump start us off on the right foot we just didn't slow down from there so um yeah that first goal in every game was huge that was a nice snapshot i remember that one too it's <laughs> just perfect corner <laughs> i do remember a lot of your goals now that i think of it that's pretty crazy what high glove i was trying to go low blocker though <laughs> yeah. yeah it's kind of like your it's like your overtime yeah, goal yesterday i was watching that i'm like there's no way he was shooting for that corner <laughs> he's gonna tell everybody he was but he was going for a rebound <laughs> Yeah, again, Who scores from the goal line? Like, what the... I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's automatic. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, close your eyes and shoot it. That being said, I threw I, I threw a lot of pucks on that, and I never scored goals like that. So <laughs> <laughs> I saw you score one in Montreal. I got a picture. <laughs> you got an assist on that goal. You didn't even mean to. <laughs> Turnover. You walk in as an accidental assist. <laughs> I heard you yeah, yelling yeah, for sure. a drop pass, so I dropped yeah, it. Like, yeah. <laughs> Dropped it right off the defenseman's stick. Yeah, fair. I've seen your stats. I'm not passing to you. <laughs> <laughs> I looked back and saw you, and I was like, nope. Uh, no. <laughs> should have passed you more after that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Game seven. Most We asked most of the guys 
you know, what their feelings were going into that. Yeah. Uh, it seems like everybody was pretty chill. I mean, I think everybody was fairly relaxed. You know, we went in the night before we skated, Yeah. you know, a couple of guys had some wine the night before everybody went for a walk by the water and it, you know, it was somewhat contemplative, but it was a pretty calm feeling. Um, were you up to three coffees per day by then? Cause maybe you were the one that was buzzing. <laughs> I was still on my wine. I, I remember it was, I, I didn't, I hated the taste of the coffee. It was so bitter. So I had like I don't know, three scoops of sugar and three creams in it at the time. <laughs> the water was so fat after the year, but yeah, you know, you're right. I think the one of the biggest things that we did that game was going in the night before and skating the previous trips we had gone in, we had practiced and then flown out and skated in the morning um, the next day. So we switched it up flew it early and skated it that night, which I think it just allowed our legs to get under us, feel better for the next day. But that next morning when we got up and had breakfast, it was, it was almost eerie for me. Like I remember coming down and you just, you kind of come down and, and kind of get breakfast whenever you wanted. And there was guys there and everyone was just kind of quiet and doing their own thing. And I was like, is this serious? Like we're about to go into game seven and, and there's like, everyone's so calm right now i'm losing it inside like <laughs> i can't even sit still i remember i was i, I went and ate and then i walked inside and and i was just pacing back and forth and those are like a little courtyard in the hotel and i went and sat there for for a while like i had a pre-game routine uh to call some of my fit my, my my dad my brother my and my family and stuff on game day so i did that got that out of the way and, and i just like my anxiety was through the roof. Um, and then Whitey, so John Whiteside's our trainer. I'll never forget this. Um, he came up to me at one point and just said, uh, go be a hero and something like that. And and I was like, all right. And that's all I thought to myself before the game. It, it kind of brought me into like, a, brought me back to reality. Like, okay, you can do this. And it's all I thought. All I said to myself before that game was, go be a hero, go be a hero. Like, you can do this. You're the best. Go be a hero. And I talked to myself for hours. And by game time, I was so amped up to play my best. And that was such a big part of it because of what he said to me. It's such a simple thing. But I, I think I just needed something to, like, get my mind off how big the situation was and what the game meant. And, and it brought all the distractions away from, you know, what could happen if we win and family being there and, and, you know, the crowd. And um, so I, it was, that was a huge moment for me before the game when he said that, and it just, it like, it dialed me right in. Um, so I'll never forget that. Um, you know, that was, that was a huge, huge moment. And then on the way to the rink, I thought I was going to die because we went <laughs> over a tab before and uh, there, there was th like thousands of fans outside the building and I and and you couldn't get to where we went in the rink so I'm driving and I'm in a cab and fans start to recognize me and they started to swarm the car so there's like thousands of people swarming the car and shaking it and like cursing at me and I'm like I'm literally out there I'm gonna get beat up before the game so I like threw some money at the cab driver and opened the door and sprinted into the rink, busted through all the crowd. I was nervous. This is the most I've never, I've ever been nervous in my life for that game. Wow. You would have been in way, way bigger trouble. Had, you know, had they had any doubt that they were going to win. <laughs> yeah. I think every fan that was out there was just like, you guys are going to lose. You're yeah, so you're sure. Done. 
Yeah. They were so sure. <laughs> so. Oh, thank God. So you had a little pregame ritual of calling your parents and, and family. And yeah, I still, you know, it's funny. You still, you get into these routines and I still, I still do it. Um, like my dad, I talked to on every game day before the game, uh, for every game of, of my career, essentially always called him. He's, he was always my coach growing up. Um, so I, I kind of called him and we'd always go through kind of things that, that, you know, I felt would, that made me successful and that were good in my game. And, um, you know, he'd also always call me like after game and or the day after, after that night, uh, go through my game and things that I could have done better and, um, or areas where he thought I could improve stuff like that. Uh, he was always big on trying to get me to, to calm down to be a smarter player. Um, and start to stop taking, you know, so many penalties and stuff like that. So, uh, he's always been really instrumental, but that, yeah, that was part of my routine and, and just, you know, I get up from my nap, give them a call, um, talk for a little bit. My brother, same thing. He's, you know, he's always played on my teams growing up and we're always been very close. Always. He's like, we're a year apart and, and still, you know, we get a routine that we still do uh, before every game. So it's just something you get into and, uh, you know, kind of gets you in that mindset and allows you to feel comfortable. Um, you know, it's also a great way just to, to keep connected with the family while we're away. Yeah, I feel like a bad son now. Jeez, thanks. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Dad. <laughs> uh, were they pretty chill on Game 7? I mean, I, I imagine you called them for advice. And yeah. Same kind of message, or were they freaking out? Yeah, about? no, it's same kind of message. Like, we went over, uh, again, like the things that I had done in previous games where I uh, had success just about uh, playing smart and, and shooting the puck and, um, you know, being disciplined and, and stuff like that. Um, just like keys that, that I try to focus on uh, in the game. So that was kind of what we talked about. Try to stay away from, again, what it what it meant at the end of the day, kind of keep the nerves calm and, and how big a moment it was. Uh, just obviously wish us luck. They were in Vancouver. Uh, my, my parents and my my three siblings, my brother, my two sisters were all there. So they're also just kind of filling me in a little bit on what they were doing uh, in the city and just being told uh, not to show anyone that they had Boston gear on and, and kind of hide it a little bit. So I uh, had a little chuckle about that um, and just kind of filling them in on what we were doing at the hotel, what the game plan was. And uh, so just, you know, the typical stuff that we had talked about, um, but more just it, that also allowed me to, I needed to stop thinking about the game as much and, and, and my nerves. So it allowed me to kind of calm down a little bit too. You're still a better man than I am. I, I, after a couple of years, my wife and I would have a conversation before playoffs every time. She'd be like, I'm, I'm, I apologize now for being a bad husband, yeah. <laughs> a bad father for the yeah. next couple of months. I'm going through that right now with, with my wife and kids as well. I mean, they're, they're, they're saints and they hold down the fort and um, there's a lot of pressure on them, uh, you know, to, to stay quiet and get the, deal with the kids and and uh all the pressure that that you know we're normally uh, there to help out with so yeah you definitely got to apologize and and uh earn it at the end of the summer during during the summer right so i'll, I'll pay my dues at some point here so I, I i have another vivid memory of a celebration that we had together and it's in the corner after you scored the empty net goal and you're just like beside yourself like in the <laughs> glass like oh my god <laughs> i think it sunk in for all of us but that was a uh, uh a pretty special you know three four seconds of my career <laughs> Man, was it, was, just, it was incredible because you know like even when we we're pre nothing with like four or five minutes left it was nerve-wracking as hell on yeah, that bench 100 like, 100 
dude, you could see everyone was like, we're so close, but if they get one, anything could happen. Um, you know, we went through with Toronto a few years later and like, it's it just, we were still so nervous on the bench. And when that, when that empty net when we were like, okay, they're like, they're not getting four in the next couple minutes here. Um, but what happened actually, like the reason I was hitting the glass is my family was sitting right above us in that corner. And I didn't, I had, I didn't know that during the game, but I just, I looked up and I could see them. And so I like, that's what I was, I was like pointing to them kind of thing. Uh, and they were pointing back and then somebody grabbed me. I still don't know who it was. It's still a blur even when I see it now, but someone's like, Hey, what are you doing? Like, let's go. So I'm tripping probably the fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, dad. So, thanks, dad. Yeah. Thanks, dad. <laughs> <laughs> kind of share a moment with my family here, fair. <laughs> That's so, pretty but, cool the, that you actually picked them out of the crowd. That's yeah, awesome. it just happened. I mean, they were wearing their, their Bruins gear and a, a crowd full of blue. They were in black and, and, and gold. But that's why I was kind of jumping. And also, like, just, you know, you get in that corner and, like, we're just, we know we got it at that point. Then you get back to the bench and it was just, it was the best feeling, right? Like, you just, everyone's hugging from the next couple minutes forward and just counting down the seconds. It was insane. Well, I think you can probably safely say that you didn't miss out. Uh, you know, I think you... You did it right. Hockey, hockey can be a funny sport sometimes where we, we really like to like be humble, be, but man, if you win the cup, like go for it. You might never get another one, like live it up and have fun. Just don't hurt anybody. <laughs> you know, when we got off the plane in, in, uh, in Boston and like all the, the police officers and the fire department, everyone was there and like, boys, just enjoy yourselves. And we're like, okay, we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's an order. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, sir. If you say uh, so. But then obviously, like, you know, you're in that situation and, and everybody wants to be part of it. And, you know, like every club, uh, you know, wants us there and, and the promoters are all trying to get us in there. And like everywhere you go in the city, it's like, you know, you guys do whatever you want and just have a good time. And we, we love to see it. Everyone's so proud of us, so happy for us that, I mean, everywhere we went, everyone just wanted us to have a good time. And, you know, we were just trying to make the most of it. Until I got a phone call from Thority. I don't know, we were like two weeks into their, our celebrations in Boston. I got a call from Thority and he was like, hey, I was like, hey, man, like you coming over to drink or what? He was like, no. He was like, no, I just got a call from Cam. He wants you to leave. I was like, what? He was like, yeah, like, you're not allowed in Boston anymore. You got to go home. <laughs> he, he's sick of seeing the pictures in the newspaper and online. He's like, you got to go. So. I was gone that afternoon. If I could go back, I would have done so much more. Um, and I would have experienced so much more. It would have been great if I truly understood what we had accomplished. You know, like if you play, you know, five tens, he had played 15 years at that point, you realize how hard it is to win. Then you would appreciate it so much more. Like I appreciate it so much more now that I played for, you know, over 10 years, but I won my first year. So I was like, man, this is going to be easier. We're going to win a few of these, you know? And, and, but now looking back, like I would have that entire summer, like I would have just enjoyed it with my family and my friends and gone on trips and celebrated, like taking, you know, the opportunities to come to you, whether it's go to award shows and like all that stuff and concerts and meet, you know, meet people that, you know, you wouldn't have got to meet in the past, like just really enjoyed it. And, 
if I go, I wish I'd go back and do it again because I would have I would have enjoyed it a lot more than it. And I had a good time, don't get me wrong, but it's just such a unique experience. And you know, for most guys, a once in a lifetime opportunity. And uh, yeah, I just I wish I did more. I wish I could have slowed time down. It, yeah. It's such a blur, you know, like the the, the couple of weeks after you win, it's just dude. Even we came back so dude, quick. We came back. What was it? I don't know if we came back earlier in the summertime or something like that. But we took a chariot. You remember we took you can't you and I came back. We met. I think it was Thorny at the Boston Common Movie Theater or something, and we like yeah. took a chariot through Boston and stuff like stuff. Even you know, like stuff like that. That I just you know, I wish I would have done more to, to to celebrate it all i remember we had to we had to battle pretty hard to have that party with the with the harvard lampoon <laughs> remember they they honored us as the the greatest sports team ever and it was kind <laughs> of like late in the summer you know and there's like yeah it is that you get a little bit of pressure from you know from the execs and whatnot to be like okay hey, turn the page like it's time to focus on the next year yeah and i remember like to your point being a little into my career and being like we get one chance to soak this up and like have fun and like, yeah, obviously we're going to be ready for next year. We're all professionals, yeah. but like and, and you got to take time to appreciate it. Like, exactly. And that's the thing is when you play that late anyway, your conditioning level is so much higher than everyone else that finished in April and, and May, you know, we played in mid June or whatever it was. And so your conditioning level is already through the roof, but you know, having a couple extra nights celebrating doing team things like you're not, you're not throwing away the next season, but you know what? Again, if I could go back, I probably wouldn't have gotten ready for the next season at all. If I could do it again, it's just, <laughs> again, it's just such a, a, an incredible experience and something that you don't ever get to do and, and, and to go through. And like I said, if I could have savored every single day of that summer, I, I would, I would going back. And you know what, if I sacrifice a couple months of the next season, so be it. I mean, I'll, I'll come around again, but, um, you know, we had accomplished what everybody in this game wants to accomplish and, and, uh, you know, no one's going to say that we're ever going to do it again. So I wish we did more of it. Did you take, uh, the cup back to the rock for, no, that's Newfoundland. That's where rides took it. That's where rides took it and dented it. Um, I should know that better. I'm going to get in trouble <laughs> from all the Halifax, uh, yeah. folk. it's a rock. I've been yeah, to Halifax. It, it, you yeah, just don't call it the rock. Yeah, you, if <laughs> whatever makes you right. <laughs> uh, you take it back to the facts. Is that what you guys yeah, call it? The fa- yeah, I guess that's what we the facts. But uh, yeah, we took it back there. So we had to, there was a Quater had it before I did, and we had to. There was a rumor that well, not a rumor. They were saying that I might not be able to get it because you got to take a bridge um, or a ferry back and forth from PEI to to Nova Scotia. And there was a big rainstorm or windstorm or something. So they were going to shut it down. And if they waited to the morning to bring it over to me, might not have been able to travel over the bridge. So it's like, there's no way I'm missing my day with the cup. So me and my, my family, like all my cousins and uncles and buddies rented a couple limos and we went over and Quater had it till uh, whatever his party was done so we went over to, and 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 uh, probably 7 30 p.m <laughs> yeah he had to get an early sleep <laughs> quater yeah. poor quater poor guy i'm just kidding man. <laughs> yeah. if you're listening don't hit me <laughs> um, but uh so we took we took some limos over and we waited till his party was over and uh picked it up early in the morning um pulled an all-nighter drove back 
so yeah we had a like a parade um a parade set up uh and then we went to my local hockey rink where i grew up playing um had a bunch of people there i i a little disappointed with how we kind of managed that uh we were trying to to stay on a tight schedule and a lot of people would have liked to like get pictures and autographs and we just kind of had it set up there um for like a little presentation um so i would have liked to have done that a little bit differently uh if i if i you know if i could go back but um so we we did that and then we just had a party we got got to spend a couple hours with it at my place with my family just just alone to kind of hang out and uh, but man, like, as you know, it, it goes by so quick and, and it's such a blur and you're trying to, we try to squeeze so much in, you know, and, and there's a lot of expectations, you know, people wanting you to do certain things with it. Um, and you got to try to prioritize what you want to do, you know, and what's going to make you happy. Cause I mean, ultimately you earned it. Um, so and we, it was a great day, but it went by so quick and, and, uh, you know, I, I've tried to think uh, numerous times, like, what would I do if, if I go back? Like, would I still have a parade? Would I still go and, and or would I just keep it to myself? And or would I go do something cool, you know, like take a chopper with it somewhere and, and go scuba dive? I don't know. But like stuff like that, that I've tried to think about, like, what would you do with it if you could do it all over again? And it's it's such a tough question because it, no matter what you do, it's so special just to, to have it and, and, you know, spend that time with it. So. Uh, it was it was awesome though. Nice. Well, it sounds all right. You'll get another chance. Just keep scoring, man. <laughs> if you're in so. overtime, you just keep putting on the net. <laughs> Close your eyes. Speaking of the celebration, Marshy, uh, we got Bergie's side of this story, but tell us how the black and yellow thing come about. What's your side? Uh, I don't know how who 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 brought it up to Bergie, but um, also we 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 were having. Uh, a great time we had obviously just been celebrating for the last couple of days and he came up to me and was like hey you want to come up on stage with me and sing black and yell and i was like yeah in front of thousands of people and you know at that time like <laughs> you're a young guy like i love the attention um you know like sags and i and you know quater definitely didn't but sags and i loved it like we were you know young and single and having a good time and as soon as he said that i was like yeah but you put me up on stage any day of the week i'll do whatever you want <laughs> so uh yeah he just you know he kind of he, he kind of said the cue and i went up and we were in such bad bad shape like we we hadn't slept yet and um my voice is all cracky and and i but there was no like here's what we're gonna do here's how long we're gonna be there just he's like sing for a bit and then we'll end it so it was kind of awkward about how it all kind of came about <laughs> he was like here come up and sing and then we'll just you know so we was kind of like all just playing it by ear and, and uh, just winging it. But again, at that point, you don't care about anything. You're just trying to have a good time. Night at Foxwoods, that bill that everybody's seen. There's a lot of Bud Lights. Uh, who was drinking them all that <laughs> night? Uh, I think everyone was drinking them all. Um, but I, to be honest, I was more concerned about getting on the bar and spraying champagne. I think I, if there's like 30 bottles. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. I, every single bottle of champagne, except for that big one, yeah. was sprayed yeah, by it you. Was not, it was, nobody none drank was drank. There was nothing was drank. Yeah. Uh, the hard <laughs> liquor and the beer was drank. And then the champagne and it's like, so I just sit on that bar and spray champagne for like five hours straight. <laughs> so, and, and I wouldn't change a thing. 
You had like those swimming fingers, like when you swim too long. So it was from champagne. Uh, I think there was nobody anywhere around us on the floor because they were so sick and getting sprayed on the champagne. Just stupid. Yeah. Uh, and we'll close with this. You start the year battling for a spot. You ended as Stanley Cup champions, and the president of the United States calls you the little ball of hate. What was that like when you were at the White House and heard that from President Obama? It completely caught me off guard. I, you know, I, I was just kind of like a little. Obviously, you're enamored. You're you're in you're in the White House, and you know, you're watching the president, and I'm just kind of scanning the room, um, you know, looking at what's going on. I'm like this is crazy. I never thought I'd be here, and then, you know, it kind of referenced me as a little ball of hate, and I'm just like you know, what just happened here is, you know, president's now talking about me and um, it's a name that, that stuck ever since he said it. And I mean, it's pretty, pretty amazing to uh, kind of have that recognition from him. Um, regardless if he's the one who wrote it or not, I don't know if they write their own speeches, but uh, regardless, it came out of his mouth. So, um, you know, I'm, I was pretty, pretty cool. And, and uh, you know, some, some bragging rights there. Well, an incredible year, an incredible story, uh, an incredible run for you, Marshy. Thanks so much for taking the time and remembering it with us. It, it was awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. Appreciate it, bud. Thanks, bud. My kids still still cheer for a couple guys very heavily, and you're one of them. So. Oh, that, I, they, I always knew they were going to be brought up right. They love you. We love you in the parents' <laughs> house. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell everyone it's today, bud. Good to see you, pal. You too. See ya. Thanks, Marsh. We'll be back to wrap up another episode of Cue the Memories presented by Bud Light right after this. The Pro Shop powered by 47 at the Hub on Causeway is Bruins fans' one-stop shop to gear up for hockey season. Find the largest selection of authentic jerseys in the city, the latest in Bruins headwear from brands like 47, and even more exclusive black and gold merchandise. Visit the Pro Shop during your next visit to TD Garden or shop online anytime at bostonproshop.com. And we're back to wrap up this episode of Cue the Memories presented by Bud Light. Fair, I think of Brad Marshand, and it's it really is incredible, you know, to start the 2010-11 season on the fourth line, two goals in game seven. As I said towards the end there, you know, you're getting shouted out by the president of the United States. And now, you know, 10 years later, he's an MVP candidate. I mean, the arc of his career and just what, he's been able to do from where he started during that run in that year it's it's crazy to think about uh, what he's become well it was a meteoric rise <laughs> very very quick but he earned it you know like he didn't just slip into a position that you know it was kind of just he kind of lucked into like man the kid is super talented super confident you know he's always believed in himself like he earns every little bit of his success that, that he's gotten. Right. And, and uh, the, the part that I probably like best though, is that he's had a blast, you know, he's so fun. He, he makes it fun. He makes the environment fun. Uh, the locker room, he has a good time. Um, but you can just watch him and, and, and see like, that's a, that's a guy that really likes what he does. <laughs> and that's pretty cool. Right. Like, yeah, to just, you know, to, to see somebody, yeah, he wears his emotions on his sleeve. You can see how excited he is to score big goals, like this far and just, I mean, he just loves it. And that's, that's part I, I like the best about uh, uh, watching him play. Yeah. He's talented and does all that, but just the, uh, that kind of vibe that he gives off. Well, and I feel, feel like it's pretty rare to have that combination of someone who's so intense and who has such a drive to be good 
and is always, you know, focused on, you know, being better. But at the same time, like you said, having fun and enjoying and being lighthearted and fun around the rink, like you don't see that combination. It's usually kind of one or the other. And he, he threads the needle as, as well as anybody, I think. Well, it's a great combination. And, you know, for the young guys that he's playing with now, it shows them like, you can do this. Like you can be a lot of things. You don't just have to be super serious to be good at hockey. You know, like you can have a good time and have fun and joke around and do all these things. And when it's time to be serious, yeah, you turn up that dial, but, uh, uh, but yeah, you can enjoy the time while you're here. Yeah, no doubt. And he's still getting better 10 years later. Crazy to think about another one in the books. Fair. Thanks. Thanks pal. That's it for this episode of cue the memories presented by Bud Light. We'll see you guys next time.